Welcome to the Soul Summit Podcast. I'm your host, Courtney Levesque. I'm here to bridge the gap for women in the outdoors, build a community of adventure junkies, and roll out your weekly dose of positive vibes. With almost two decades in the health and fitness world and an untamable passion for hunting and the outdoors, my mission is to help you live a bucket list life and move boldly in the direction of your dreams. Meet us here weekly as I connect with like-minded men and women to discuss health and mindset, accountability, life and entrepreneurship, as well as all things hunting and epic untold stories. I don't know if you guys are at all like me, but I'm guessing I could probably step out on a limb and say, yep, you are equally as obsessed with September as I am. We are just getting through the month of September and there's been so many amazing bulls that have been taken this year, both in my home state of Oregon and really all across um, the Western United States. I've been seeing some incredible bulls on the ground. And in this episode today, I am joined by Kim and Martin. They are uh, friends of mine. I met Kim several years ago at one of my archery camps, and her and I have stayed in contact since. But in this episode, we get to talk about their recent amazing experience in hunting a beautiful Roosevelt bull. And we get to listen to their story unfold from really the beginning of season until everything came together very late in the game. So this was a really cool experience that they got to relive with me. And we talk a lot about their differences. And she grew up in a hunting family, but really didn't spend any time as a hunter herself until what we would call adult onset. Martin has been hunting um, from an early age as a young boy and spent a lot of time doing that everything basically from archery to rifle hunting and muzzleloader. So he has a pretty good um, backstory with that, but their stories really coincide together into what this episode is in their combined effort to get this bull on the ground. Kim also talks about her experience after the shot was made and they walked up on this bull and how seeing a bull on the ground with a fatal shot for the very first time really evoked some emotions in her that she wasn't necessarily expecting. I think this is a really cool episode and getting to hear kind of both sides of the coin with the same shared goal, and that is to have a successful September. There's some good takeaways, things that they would do again, and things that they really attribute to making this hunt a success for them. Tune in, enjoy, and be sure to share with a friend. I'm sure if you know anybody who likes elk, this will be a really good episode to take a few nuggets of insight away and hopefully create your own successful September. This show hands down could not happen without the amazing support of some incredible companies. Let's take a word from today's sponsors. With the most technically advanced barrel manufacturing techniques, state-of-the-art machinery, and an unwavering commitment to quality, Bagara has become the barrel source of numerous top-tier gun manufacturers in both Europe and the United States. Bagara is producing a full line of precision firearms engineered and built to showcase the performance capabilities of their world-class barrels. At their core, Bagara believes that a precision firearm requires not only the best components, but also an assembly process that is carried out by individuals who are the best of the best at their craft. 
Whether you're a backcountry hunter and want a rifle that doesn't compromise accuracy for weight, a long range competition shooter, or just looking to get started with your first rifle, Begara has something for everyone. Head to begara.online.com to take a look now. That's B-E-R-G-A-R-A dot O-N-L-I-N-E dot com. Sawyer offers family-friendly insect repellent for your skin, clothing, and gear. Protect yourself and your loved ones from disease-carrying ticks and mosquitoes before your next adventure. Whether you're an expecting mother or using around your favorite four-legged friends, Sawyer has an insect repellent option to keep you protected. In fact, a 2017 study found by treating your boots and socks alone with permethrin, you can reduce your chances of a tick bite by 73.6%. Don't wait until it's too late. Head to Sawyer.com to take a look at their entire line of products. That's Sawyer.com. In South Dakota, hunting is our shared legacy, something everyone can be a part of. That's why we're focused on making our fields a welcome place for everyone. See how at huntthegreatestsd.com, where you can hear stories from sportswomen and learn what makes South Dakota the world's pheasant capital. While you're there, enter for a chance to hunt with Sportsman's Channel, Melissa Bachman, and win free gear from DSG Outerwear. Learn more at huntthegreatestsd.com forward slash DSG. All right, welcome to another episode of the Soul Summit Podcast. Today I am joined by Kim and Martin, and I'm excited to have this conversation and get to know both of them together. And it's kind of cool because it's a little bit more uh, non-traditional. I typically don't interview couples together. So this is going to be really exciting. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So give me this like 30,000 foot view of who you guys are um, individually and then also together. I'll go first. Uh, I am Kim. I have been hunting for about three years now, just since I met Martin. Um, I'm also in nursing school. I have three kids and I'm working. So, you know, it's kind of a juggling act for me at this point. Still kind of figuring out who I am, but um, that's the that's the real high perspective. And I, uh, I guess we start with career. I'm an electrician slash Mr. Fix-It from a hunting standpoint. Been hunting my whole life, uh, pretty much since I was 12 years old. And uh, you name it, I've tried it as far as muzzleloader, recurve, compound, long-distance rifle, um, kind of just live to hunt and fish, enjoy the outdoors. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much me from a 30,000 view. I'm assuming that it was a hunting family. Is that how your influence started? My influence started through my grandpa and it was pretty much just me and my grandpa, one of his other buddies and, uh, it was just rifle hunting. And then at the age of about 16, 17 years old, uh, my grandpa had a stroke. So then it was just me for a long time and I had a couple of buddies that would hunt with me now and then um but mostly it's kind of a solo adventure i always enjoyed my time alone out in the wilderness a lot of the hunting buddies that you get you know how you sort through them that some of the guys are out there just to drink beer and drive the back roads and yeah. then you get the guys that are diehards and actually really want to go after uh success in that and i would say from my experiences those are about five to one and uh, the one being the rare one that you want to hunt with. Um, so they, they kind of touch and go. And, and 
one guy wants to hunt one area, one guy wants to hunt a different unit, you know, different years, so I might hunt with a, a buddy for five, six years and then kind of drift away and then hook back up with them three or four years later. So, sure. but mostly my hunting is done solo. And what does that look like for you, Kim? Because I think that that was a little bit more like adult onset for you. What does your hunting journey look like? Yeah. So I actually did come from a hunting family um, on my dad's side, but my mom and dad divorced young and I grew up mostly with my mom. Um, and the women in my dad's family didn't typically hunt. I have a few cousins that actually do, uh, female cousins. Um, but I, you know, I wasn't like anti-hunting by any means, but sure. it just really didn't cross my mind. Um, and then when I met Martin, I, it actually started with shooting a bow. And I was like, this is amazing. This is all I want to do forever. And then he's like, let me tell you about hunting. Um, and I love hiking and kayaking and, and just being outdoors. So that came really naturally. And it was kind of like the best of both worlds. Um, it's been... For me, an amazing experience to be able to hunt with my partner because you get to see the worst of them, the best of them, like the teamwork, the collaboration, the meltdowns. Like, I don't think that there's any better way to really get to know someone at a very core level than to be on a really shitty hunt with them. But because our schedules also don't always line up, I actually do a lot of solo hunting also. So... You know, there are times when I'm like, I've got the kids, you go. And then there are times where, you know, he's at work, the kids are at school, and I'll just go out on my own. Um, we kind of bounce back and forth like that. But we do try to get quite a few hunts in together every season for every species. So then was hunting kind of a part of like your guys's first dating experiences together then? Is that what I'm picking up on? Yeah, for the most part, I said... You know, if I'm going to date, so I, I'd, I'd gotten out of a divorce, dated it around a little bit. And uh, I kind of said, okay, this next one, my, my previous relationship or um, she didn't really show any signs of wanting to join. And the, the handful of times that we did go out together, the, you know, she wanted to go home early or just wasn't really feeling it. And I was okay with that. It was kind of my thing. You know, you have your thing. I have my thing. That's, I'm okay with that. And the next time it was... I kind of hit the dating pool. I said, okay, this is going to be trial by fire. And I said, if they can't hang with me out here, like I'm going to do my best to see if they can hang. And the one that can hang is the one that I'm going to invest energy into. And, uh, cause really it's, it's something that I want to share with somebody, uh, while I'm out there. So it's the, obviously somebody I love and somebody I cherish. I, there's a lot of memories and a lot of things that, I want to share and show them um, it's where I find peace out there. So obviously I, I want my partner there if available. And was that something that was important to you as well, Kim? Uh, I think the things that were important to me looked different um, at the time. You know, it was a lot of like, I need somebody who has a lot of honesty. I need somebody yeah. with integrity. I need somebody who is willing to work on themselves. And so there were like these really kind of broad thoughts but then as we added hunting into the relationship i got to see how that sort of translates across so i get to see those things in action and also you know it it's such a good way for us to escape the world and have like quiet moments together which are so important 
And that's something that I did want in a relationship. But this is a really good catalyst for it. Yeah, I think it brings out the, the true colors come out really quick when, you know, you're in the bottom of a canyon. It's pouring down rain. It's soaking. And we have to climb up the other side. You can see how your partner handles pressure or handles totally. you know, the suck. And really, if they can handle that suck, like later on when your relationship's struggling, which we all go through hard times, you can see if they have the gumption, whether they're a quitter or not. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's whether you're willing to tough through the suck to get out to the shiny side or whether you're going to quit on me, you know, and that's, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess it's so. And, and that's how I kind of screened it. I took her through some brutal hunts that I kind of feel bad for. <laughs> and But uh, she was a trooper. Well, I, I feel like so many times I talk to people that say, you know, I, I'm. I'm doing this to escape from my family and, and not necessarily in a negative way. I don't think I do think that sometimes in your relationships, you need that separation of space or your own time. But, you know, growing up uh, as a female, the only female in camps ever, I heard a lot of this kind of conversation about, you know, the men are leaving the wives at home and going to do their thing. And it's really cool. I feel like because, that's not how I want it to be. And I don't see that in you guys. Like, sure, you might enjoy some time that's solo, you know, getting to go do some things by yourself. But really, you know, having your partner, the person who in the best or the worst of a situation has your back, you can work together well with them, you guys communicate, you know, together well. Um, you have to dig into things like problem solving, you know, sometimes it's even as, you know, um, involved as like life or death situations. So I think it's really cool. And I love that you kind of vetted her through this process. I mean, this kind of sounds bad, but also at the same time, like when you are up to bat trying to find the person you're going to spend forever with, you want to know what they're capable of and what they will be like under pressure. Do you feel like through this process um, and, and process, that's a really shitty way of just talking about your relationship, but that's where my brain just went. Yeah. Do you feel like throughout, like you guys, exactly. Totally. We all are. You guys have been able to use this time. I feel like the outdoors and some of those moments where you're remote, it's quiet, it's just you and nature, and you may or may not have slept well the night before, you can have this like, deeper level of intimacy and understanding with your person. Do you feel like that's helped you connect in a deeper way? You know, I, I definitely feel like it, you can have those deeper, it, your mind kind of gets peace for a minute or... I mean, don't get me wrong. There are times where I'm just like, I wish she would just shut up for a moment out there. You know, or <laughs> she wants to have these really, really deep conversations when I'm trying to glass a hillside. And I'm like, can we do this later? You know, this, that kind of stuff happens, but also the good comes from it, you know, and, and, and yeah. we do have some, a lot of good conversations, you know, at a whisper level between each other. You know, when you're sitting there glassing or you're just bored or, you know, um, mm -hmm. I find it's, it's makes the time pass very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, when the, the heat of the day, there's nothing going on and you come out with a, a higher appreciation for your partner and everything that they do bring to the table. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I, I definitely say that you get some conversations out there that you wouldn't normally have on your, you know, Monday through Friday, come home, laundry, dinner, kids, pets, you know, is you have a time to 
ask other questions that would never even occur to you. For me, I get less triggered when I'm out doing things. And sometimes like hard conversations can bring up hard feelings, right? And we all have hard stuff. So when we're out and we're walking and we're exhausted, I don't have the physical energy for my anxiety to level to go up. Like I'm just way more chill. I can hear him say something hard to me and just like, okay, noted. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I can see that too. And other times I'm like, well, you're wrong, but it's fine. We'll figure it out later. You know, uh, mm-hmm. it's a good time for me to, to actually have those conversations. You know, sometimes, um, when we try to have them at home, they don't go that well. But when we have them, when we're hunting, when we've been together, when we're really connected, when we want to see each other, it goes better. And part of it, I think, is like we have this really excellent communication in the woods, like no words, hand signals, maybe looks, and we know what the other person needs because you have to be quiet. So like we're already more connected. I've thought about leaving her out there a couple times. <laughs> It's mutual. <laughs> yeah, she's just not saying what you're saying. <laughs> but I think that, you know, that point about like the nonverbal communication, like if you can master that to some degree with your person, then I think sometimes communication, it can at least lead to a little bit more open communication. But I feel like from the outside looking in, and I could be wrong, but you guys are very in touch. And I know, Kim, you've done a lot of like recovery and therapy and stuff for overcoming some things in your past. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure Martin's story, but you guys are really good, it seems like, about having those conversations and digging into that. Has it always been that way or is that something that you guys have to really practice and, you know, make a conscious effort to do? For me, I know it's, it's a conscious effort. Like I've, you know obviously been through a few <clears throat> a few relationships you learn a little through each one the do's and the don'ts and the okay i might have screwed part of that up you know and, and i wish i wouldn't have done that and well i felt like i did pretty good here and so i think just experience of being in relationships and then but not only that but also you know looking outside like how do i do this right this time mm-hmm. how do i how do i not do what i maybe i tended to do in other areas you know, that, that didn't help the relationship. Um, where do I need to change? And I think that just kind of came with maturity and age and, uh, you know, definitely not like a 20 year old self. So, um, I think you're, we're always evolving. We're always changing. We're always looking at where can we do better? Um, I love to challenge myself and I think that's where hunting is. It's something that I challenge myself at and it challenges me and emotional growth is just as challenging, mm-hmm. different ways of thinking, different views and not always assuming that, well, my way's right. You know, mm-hmm. we're all in that gray line. You know? So there is no right. There is no wrong. It's just what works for you mm-hmm. and uh, being able to accept other people's views you know, and, and saying that you're not right and they're not right, but we'll meet in the middle. Our, our stories are actually really similar. Um, we've both been through some really, uh, traumatic relationships. We haven't had a great, um, you know, our childhood didn't really emulate what a great relationship should look like. And I think we kind of stumbled our way through these earlier relationships. And then when we met each other, 
I mean, one of the things, like I said, that was really important to me is I need somebody who's willing to work on themselves. And mm-hmm. I think it was like six months, no, maybe a little longer, nine months into our relationship, we moved in together. And it became pretty clear that it wasn't going as smoothly as we wanted it to. So we actually started just seeing a couple's therapist and um, we did that, you know, not super regularly, like maybe once a month for about a year. And it just really got us like on the same page, realizing that when we're having arguments, we're not arguing to fight against each other. We're trying to figure out the problem and fight against the problem. And that was hard, you know, but I, I feel like we front loaded the work, you know, so we did all the hard stuff in the beginning. There will be hard stuff in the future, but right now we're just in a pretty good place. I mean, there's, there's still stuff that comes up like every couple, but just knowing our background, we needed to be really, really conscious of the Mm -hmm. way we treated this relationship. Totally. Yep. So Dustin and I have done something very similar. We, um, like you guys have, have gone through some really hard relationships and, um, I've had some trauma in my life that has put up walls and things that I need to work on. And, you know, I would say Dustin and I, and I, hopefully I'm not oversharing, um, my husband might kill me, but I think we have a fantastic relationship. Our communication is good. You know, we love each other dearly, but you know, with him being on tour 2,300 miles away, there's just, I know about myself. There's a lot of opportunity for me to build resentment or walls or, you know, have things go unsaid that are important. And so we did the same thing. We ended up, um, working with a counselor and just checking in. And it was was kind of funny. I'll actually never forget when we called her and she's like, okay, you know, tell me about you guys. And she listened to us and she's like, you guys are great. (laughs) Like you guys, you guys are great. You don't need a therapist. And you know, it's, it's about, I think sometimes it's standing up to say, I don't want this to be a bad situation. I don't want this to be a hard relationship. I don't want us to have these miscommunications. So instead of being reactive, how can we be proactive in bettering who we are individually and together to move forward? And so I think therapy, not just in the moments where you're at your breaking point, but therapy in a way that can set you up for success in your relationships is so important. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. Giving you tools that you weren't shown through your childhood. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big part of it is when you, when nobody around you showed you how to ride a bike, what are you going to do? Look at the bike and be like, oh, I know how to ride this. You, mm-hmm. you don't. You need a moment. Mm-hmm. You need somebody to either show you or you're going to fall off and get hurt a lot. I mean, one way or the other, you're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's kind of f- switch over and talk about you guys. You know, you're always obviously learning how to, you know, be in a better relationship together and how to nurture your guys's needs. But talking about this specifically in the outdoor hunting space, what have you guys learned? You know, Martin kind of alluded to a few things, but what have you learned about each other that you've kind of had to adjust in your pursuit of hunting and the outdoors together? Martin's tactics change frequently um and his thought process on like how we're going to go about things changes a lot some real strong adhd on this one um it works he gets it done but for me who like likes a plan and to stick with the plan and see the plan through it's been a little harder 
you know, I'm always like, okay, we're going to go to this spot today. And he's like, yeah, uh, actually, no, we're going to, I think we'll do better at this other spot. And it's like a complete shift. It's fine. Stuff still happens, but that's been probably one of the bigger highlights that I've noticed. You know, there's a lot of like just changes and that's can be difficult for me, but it's also been really good for me because I've learned how to roll with it a little more. And I'm completely fly by the seat of my pants. Like <laughs> I'll figure it out. You know, what's the wind doing down there today? What's the, uh, I might get down there and I'd be totally wrong. And well, we're, you know, we're pulling out of here. It's the wind's pushing right where we want to go. Uh, so we're not even going to, you know, we're not even going to bumper up on that piece of timber right now. We're going to go find something else. And, uh, you know, I'm just constantly adapting and shifting to maybe I've got hunters in my other spot. Maybe I've got, mm-hmm. you know, like I said, wind, weather, uh, whatever, whatever it might be. I just kind of roll with it and, you know, what happens, happens. Um, yeah. And it's just learning Kim that, you know, I learned pretty well that Kim gets very irritable if she's hungry. Very. So make sure you carry snacks with you. Make sure you're not too far from getting water or something like that. Or, you know, when we do cross water, pick up enough for yourself and then also an extra bottle for her, but don't tell her you have that, you know, until she's ready to break. And then you, oh, by the way, I have this extra water for you or these extra <laughs> snacks. Why don't you sit down, take a break? You know? I'll um, never forget one time we were turkey hunting and he pulled like Snickers or something out of his bag. And I was like, Oh, and he, he hands them to me and I'm like, you don't even like these. Why do you have them? He's like, cause I don't like you when you're hungry. <laughs> oh my gosh. This Snickers fit the moment. <laughs> Not itself. That so, is priceless. Uh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> she actually is several times as, as we've been calling in turkeys and that kind of stuff. And she does not realize how loud she's talking because she's hungry yeah, and how fast she's getting frustrated that the birds are not cooperating. And so uh, I've learned to make sure you feed and have extra water and, you know, things about her that I learned what her triggers are and how I can I prevent mean, that or head that off. I'm going to call bull on the water. Cause I feel like I'm always the one who has the extra bottle in their pack. You do. At times <laughs> you do. The food. Yes. I'll agree food, to that. Sometimes water. I'm I. I don't stop enough to get the water and then I wish I would have later and then you're just going to push through it. So, so talk to me a little bit about your guys' 2022 season. What does that look like from basically the start of the opener until right now, as we're sitting here on this podcast? Oh, uh, well, obviously this year, the, uh, the opener, it was hot. Um, my trail cameras kind of were hanging off before the season and then my animals all stopped. So I kind of rolled with it. Um, Kim being in nursing school didn't really didn't get to go with me much as I would hope this year. So I did a lot of solo hunting, a lot of just kind of, you know, still hunting through the woods and, and uh, um, for the first part. And then after that, we started, we shifted areas down to a property that we knew and towards the end of the season, and she actually got to hunt with me then. And that's when we pretty much started getting into uh, this bull elk that was a regular there. And he would talk to us in this canyon and we knew he was in there somewhere and uh, it took us several days to put a plan together. But uh, in the end, it all worked out. So it... Uh, it was a little hot, dry, really 
desolate season until the very end for mm-hmm. me. Just uh, takes one. Solo time. Um, it just takes that one. Exactly. It can go from, you know, the worst year of your life to the best year of your life in 30 seconds. It so. was uh, kind of interesting. We were driving back from, I don't, I don't even think we were hunting, actually. I think we had just gone and done something together. We went we to were, the lookout. Oh, okay. We went to the lookout. We were driving back. Okay. And this whole, this lookout, I mean, we, we went to a fire lookout. We're on public land. So we're like, well, let's turn this into a hunting trip too. Maybe we'll see bear. Maybe we'll see elk. Um, we had controlled tags for bucks, so we couldn't hunt buck there, but, um, we saw like a doe and no elk sign. So halfway through this trip, we had two nights there. We stayed one night and it was like three o'clock in the morning, no, three o'clock in the afternoon. And I looked at him and I was like, let's go somewhere else. Like, let's just, we just need to leave. We'll go up the coastline, go to a place that we know of. We saw a ton of elk sign there. Nothing's happening here. I don't want to stay here. We don't have very much time. And so we packed everything up and we got to the spot at like nine o'clock at night. Uh, woke up the next morning and went for a hunt and actually saw sign and it was super refreshing. Um, but we didn't get into anything. And then we're driving home and he's just, you know, talking to me and he's like, man, it's been so many years since I've killed something. I I'm starting to feel like I'm just a crap hunter, you know, like things aren't coming together. I don't know if I want to hunt in Oregon anymore. Like this just is not happening for me. This public land hunting in Oregon is really hard right now. It's nothing like I was when I was a kid. Um, you know, talking about less animals and, and more pressure and just a lot of different things that are happening that are making it harder. And I'm like, yeah, I hear you. Like I've been hunting for three years and, and nothing's come together for me yet. So it's really hard when you've never been successful to just continue, continue, continue. And I said, my perspective's different than yours, but like, I feel you on that, Mm -hmm. but we just have to keep trying. Like, elk are where they are they'll just be where they are you can't change that look high look low they just are where they are um Mm -hmm. and the following weekend we had the opportunity to hunt together um saturday we went and looked at a spot that we thought would kind of on the same area but we went and looked at a, a place where we thought it would come together potentially just was really elky looking. Um, we bumped some does and didn't, didn't hear anything. Didn't really see anything. We drove around, uh, we called, we walked, we called, we, we checked out some stuff. And then the last area that we went to, um, it's just, it's, we knew that there would probably be elk down there, but it is brutal. Like, horrible so we were we were basically looking everywhere else like please let there be an elk so that we don't have to do this as soon as i hear that elk we're doing this but like i don't want to um sure enough you know we're kind of around the corner from it and calling and i said i think i hear a bugle and he can't hear i'm the ears he's the eyes he can't hear anything he's like i don't know like i didn't hear anything and we go around the corner, wrap up on this road and, and drop down to where we can see out over the top. And he calls again down into this big bowl. And I think it was like his very first call. We got an answer. And I was like, oh, crap, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. <laughs> you know, um, it was late enough in the day that we knew we didn't want to 
pursue this bull then. He got to see it. He's like, well, it's not as big as I was hoping it was, but you know, it's something, this is, this is what we have right now. And I didn't get to see it. So I'm like, well, I'm just going by what he says. Um, we sat and talked with it for a little while longer, kind of hoping that it would come up out of there. We knew it was a really, really slim chance, but just like, you know, if we can call this thing up this massive hill, this basically cliffside, then we don't have to go down there. That didn't happen. So we decided we'll go home, we'll rest, we'll get everything together and hit it again the next morning. Yeah. I mean, to recap on that is we started our season started off now that I'm thinking about it. Horrible. She rented a, uh, 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 well, I guess two weeks into the season, she rented that fire lookout. That was more of like a couple's slash, you know what? We've never been out there that part of Oregon. Uh, it's about 20 or 30 miles from Gold Beach, yeah. east of Gold Beach, and there's this fire lookout. Absolutely gorgeous up in there. We're by ourselves. I'm thinking, well, it's archery season. Why not? Like, I'll go up in there and tool around and see, just see what I see in new area. And, uh, we got a good time, you know, we spent the night up there and, and, and a fire lookout, watch the sunset and that kind of stuff. And I'm, I'm more so scouting your area. It's too hot for me to be out there climbing those hills anyway. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, if I can at least, you know, glass the, the, the burns and glass the uh, clear cuts, maybe I can actually get on something. In the meantime, I'm kind of killing two birds with one stone here. You know, I'm spending time with her and a nice mm -hmm. fire lookout and, and then, you know, so it's working out for me. And then after that, once we've seen that, and we're not seeing any fresh sign at all, like zero, like no fresh crap. And I'm going to round water holes. I'm going where wallows should be. I'm going to meadows that are surrounded by deep, dark forest. Like if they're going to go anywhere, they're going to cross through here at one time. It'll at least let me read the population in this area. And we go to these little pocket meadows and they are untouched. You know, they are not being grazed. They are not being walked through. There's no poop. There's no nothing. I'm going, these animals are just not here. There's, there's a handful of deer, but as far as a decent population of elk, like when you get down towards the coast and you get, you know, you, you'll, you'll see it. You'll see, you, you can just walk through the woods and see, well, there's a decent amount of population here. The density is enough to where I can hunt it. So we kind of pivoted and went up the coast. And then, like she said, then we started getting assigned to areas that I've been hunting for years. Um, we started getting elk. We didn't have anything to go there. And then the next the next weekend is when we went out to this area. And uh, we did scout it around. And I knew this canyon where it's had elk in it. And I'm kind of going, it's, it's, it's got to be a half a mile down. Mm -hmm. to the point that and it's not like easy miles down it's like on your butt mm -hmm. you know whatever that game is where you, you bounce a little disc on the freaking pegs and it you know that's what it's like going down it is is you're crawling under logs and over logs and trying not to fall at the same time and uh we looked everywhere but there but as soon as i bugled into that canyon i went you know and he bugled i went oh god <laughs> you know <laughs> we're doing this and i'm telling her like are you sure you want to go down there? Like, I'll go, but you don't have to go. You know, it's, is this is bad. This is not going to be fun at all. And, uh, she was all game. She was game for it. And so that night I was going, if we go down this, we couldn't even get to the bottom and turn around, and come back up before it was dark. So I said, you know, we're not going in there tonight. We'll play with him a little bit. Maybe, you know, 
and uh, see see how responsive he is. Is he a hot bull? Is he cool? Like what's going on with him? Does he have cows with him? I got a few glimpses through the, the trees and binoculars of him, and he didn't seem like he seemed like a good bull, but he wasn't like oh my god, we're definitely going after him. Um, you know, and and at that time I was really struggling this season mentally as far as like man, this is just tough, tough season. Like she was saying, I was really just getting down on myself. And I think we all mentally struggle at times out in the fields. Um, you start second guessing yourself. You start overanalyzing things. You start like, God, am I doing this right? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Well, they should be here. Or did we yep. get winded or so I was really beating myself up. Um, I tend to do that as, as I get going or start getting frustrated. Um, Finally, that next morning, you know, just kind of like lace your boots on, pack a lot of water, pack a lot of snacks. You know, we're going down into the bottom of that thing and getting that bull if we can. And but just getting down there, I it was probably one of the worst hikes I ever took her on. And we get to the bottom, and she's verge of tears. No, I was literally crying. I cried. I, I cried four. I times wasn't going to say it. All right. <laughs> I'm not too proud. I but. Cried. Uh, we get down to the bottom of that and I was like, are you okay? You know, and we, we can stop here. You can turn around. We can go back up. And she said, no, let me rest for a little bit. And, uh, let's, let's see if we can get him talking and see if he'll work with us. And, okay. So what's the hardest part? I have to just stop you for a second. What is, you, you know, I can, in my mind, yeah. I'm visualizing, you know, blackberry briars and thick and you're getting beat up and there's downfall and you're falling. Like what to you is making this part so hard for people that are listening? So for me, uh, I kept falling. I fell and fell and fell the entire way down this hill. I fell my first fall. I actually hurt myself. Like my back was hurting um, tore up my hands. Um, and I just felt like I couldn't get my legs underneath me. And more than anything, I was just so frustrated. So I'm, you know, I'm going down and it's soft dirt and it's enough of an angle that the dirt just flies out from underneath you. And pretty soon you're on your ass. So there was that. And then when we did get to the bottom, there was a ton of like blowdown and scrap and, you know, I'm, I'm trying to walk across it and I'm falling in up to my thighs and, and just, and it's, it's not once or twice. It's like every three steps I'm falling in. It's just like this lack of progress. Like it's just so frustrating. Um, and not any kind of immense physical pain, but just like pain over and over and over again. And then, you know, we get down and I'm like, what did I just agree to? But like, but I'm not going back up that hill. So we might as well go find the bull. It's the kind of hill that you have to dig knee holes into, you know, to go up. It's, it's, you're clawing to get up that hill. And uh, it's the only access in and out is diving off that point. So it's uh, why the elk are there. there. (laughs) Yep, exactly. There's a reason why. And that's why I knew that they were going to be down there. So, you know, they look at it as there's no one dumb enough to come get us down here. And they found that one mentally handicapped hunter (laughs) that was willing. So, uh, yeah, we get to the bottom and I'm like, I just need a rest. I need a moment. You know, I take a moment. I gather myself and it's only, you know, it's like two minutes where I'm just like mentally pulling myself together. Okay, let's continue on. So we get down there and there's a skitter road. And so it's easy walking. And I'm like, Oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it would be right now. 
you know, hopefully we can continue on this. I know that we have to cross at least one creek. There's a creek in the bottom and it wise. And depending on where you cross it, you're either crossing it once or you're crossing it twice. Um, so we decided uh, to aim for crossing it once. And we walked kind of down this road. We found a spot. I was like, I think this looks good. He's like, no, I think we should hit it from back there. It's, you know, we can get a little closer to it, drop down and pop across and um, hopefully it won't be too deep at the bottom. We can just, just work our way through it. So we walked down and, and walking down wasn't too bad. We get to the bottom of the creek bed and um, easy to cross. But then as soon as we're across it, it's literally like a thick Oregon green fence, just a wall that we have to climb pretty much straight up. And I think it, I, I don't know, 20 feet maybe? There was a little yeah. bench in the middle. So it was like 10 foot, a bench, and then 10 more feet. And then um, surprise, berry briars. So we uh, pulled our way, literally pulled our way to the top, um, digging knee holes again, using the, the vine maple to like kind of test it, hope it'll hold our body weight. It's the kind of stuff where you're like, kind of tossing your bow ahead and hoping that it doesn't fall back down the hill so that you have to go back down and hopefully it doesn't break in the process. And it was just, um, that was another really, really hard moment for me. I didn't cry. I made it up and I actually felt so proud of myself when I got up to the top, you know, like, okay, we're doing this. Like, I feel like I have earned every moment of this hunt. I feel like my legs are burning, my arms are burning, but like my body just took me up that thing. And that was amazing. And let's go find this bull. Yeah, you're trying to suck air through any orifice that's willing to breathe. <laughs> yeah, it was but, tough. Uh, it's, uh, we got up the, through the creek. And then once we get through the creek and up the other side, then I kind of leveled out into like, now we're in the bottom of the bowl. It's a big flat area that is just Christmas trees and reprod and grass and pocket meadows and but you're just surrounded, you know, you're, you're in it at that point. You know, there is no easy way out at this point, yeah. but we also know there's a bowl, a bowl in the area. We know that we're 500 yards from him and uh, at least the last place he sounded off. And now we don't know if he heard, uh, heard us at this point. We don't know if he winded us at this point. We don't know. We, we, we just kind of entered the, the, the arena, you know, of, of, he should be willing to work with us. We're now down on his level. We're not trying to call him up this massive hillside. Like if we can get now, figure out where he's at, he might play ball. It's game time. So we kind of do a few setups and kind of some soft cow calling and that kind of stuff with no response, no answers. No. And I'm going, did he move out of here? Did he hear us? Did he wind us? Did he, you know, did something not right? And we do that for about an hour or two trying to just get an answer without blowing him out of the canyon, not sound like a big, you know, another bull just invaded his, his area and uh, with absolutely no answer. Yeah. And go ahead. Uh, yeah. So we kind of moved up get into this grassy area with all these Christmas trees. And it's when you're looking at it from above, it looks nice and flat with just like a little bit of, a little bit of uh, terrain to it, but when you're in it, it's actually like more really steep hills. I'm mean, nothing not doable, but just enough to kind of wear you out, take your breath away by the time you get to the top of everyone. So we do this initial setup, and 
you know, we we went into this knowing that this is either of our bulls. In my head, I'm I'm always going to give him first shot because he's a way better hunter than I am. He's a better shot than I am. And he's been doing this a lot longer. So in, in my like own mind frame, he's earned this bull. Um, and I'm sort of second fiddle if something happens. Uh, we did this setup and no answer. And this has happened to us, I can't even tell you how many times. And so at this point, I know exactly what's going through his head, which is this happens every fucking time. <laughs> and he's frustrated. I know that the season isn't going well, so... I'm just like, crap. Okay, so we strap all of our stuff back down and we decide to go in a little closer to this this next old skitter road that's up a little higher. So we climb all the way up this. And the entire time our plan is he'll, he'll do the majority of the calling. But if he gets in a situation where I need to do the calling, I have my hoochie mama. Um, I'm not great with a mouth read, like just cannot figure it out yet. Um, so I've got my hoochie, you know, I'm <laughs> blown for air or the wind you know and like i'm i'm kind of playing support (laughs) and uh yeah we get to the second setup and i'm like i don't know where my hoochie went i lost an arrow i don't know where my wind went i lost literally so many things on this trip up you know because we're crawling up again so i'm just losing everything um those yeah. briars will they'll oh, pick horrible. They'll pick a pocket you if you don't have everything oh, yeah. strapped down, shut. You know, so she gets up there and I'm like, What did you you lost your, your call? Well, yeah, I lost my call. And an arrow. And my wind puffer bottle. <laughs> and and I'm like, Did you bring anything with you? <laughs> you know? I'm I'm going, she's throwing stuff off now just to dump weight. You yeah. know? And uh yeah, so it was it's and down there in the bottom, like you said, it's it's rippled. It looks flat. It's not flat. It's yeah. you could hide a Buick down there, and you sort of got it was in a field, you know. And it's it's that elk could be anywhere. But uh, we kind of go up the skitter road a little ways, and I give off a, a bugle, and he answers at about four hundred yards, three hundred yards. And at that point, I went, okay, you know, game on. Holy crap, this is actually just might work. And, uh, you know, we know where he's at. We're in his turf. Um, I can see his trails all over the place. He has, He's down there doing figure eights, you know, and, and uh, I can see where he's rubbed and I can see tracks and fresh poop. It's everywhere. It's like he hit the bottom of that, that canyon and just lived there for the last month. So and, had uh, you guys so only cow called up to that point? I think I, I gave off bugling. one or two bugles up to that point, but they were like small little bulls, mm-hmm. like soft, like, you know, where are you? Maybe I can get a chuckle out of them. Maybe not aggressive at all. But then the, the one that actually I got an answer with was finally, I was like, we've come all this way. Mm-hmm. Like, I know we got to be close to him. It's either we challenge him now and he answers, or we need to start thinking about like getting the heck out of here. Because, I mean, so many times I've dove off into canyons like that to a bugling bull just for them to give me the slip or go silent or, you know, not work with me or grab their cows and leave. And hundreds of times. Do you think the difference was you giving him a challenge bugle or the last little bit of distance that you covered to get closer to him? It was definitely the distance. I would say, yeah. Yeah, we looked at each other and he's like, we need to start thinking about getting out of here. And I was like, no, like at this point we, 
This is before we heard him. Yeah, this is before we heard him. I was like, at this point, we have gotten down here. We're we're too close. Like, I, I want to go bump this bull, if nothing else. Like, I want to see him, and I want to piss him off, and I want to get in his face, if nothing else. But let's go try to get the shot. You know, like, I, and this is where I think us hunting together worked out really well. I know where his head's at at that moment, and I know that he needs someone to, to push him to stay in the game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't want to quit. I don't mm-hmm. want to back out. I want I want to go see this bull. And I don't care how I see it. I don't care if I see it because we're, we're actually getting action from him or if I see it because I scared the crap out of him and he's running out of the canyon on the other side. I'm not leaving until I see it. What's going through my mind at this point is definitely a, a, a fraction of what she's of what she's saying is, is, is I'm kind of like, well, you know, we've already come this far and, and you know, we should think about getting out of here. You know, he's not working with us. He's not answering the cow calls, he's not answering the, the little bugles. Um, I'm kind of going, he's just not going to play ball. But the the bigger part of my mind is, is going, if I shoot this thing <laughs> and it goes down, down here, what am I going to do? Like, I'm thinking mm-hmm. now is the aftermath. Like, I just stepped in it. If this thing goes down, down here, we are so screwed. So... I'm kind of thinking more so of like, God, I might actually get a shot at this animal, but do I really want to shoot it? You know, it is, is what am I going to do? How, how's this going to play out? I'm trying to think, you know, after the shot. So she kind of talks me into saying that, you know, screw it. We've come this far. And I said, okay, well, we'll work it out. You know, if I got to take it out stake by stake and, and not sleep for three days, so be it. You know, here we go all right, you know, I'm going to show you, show you this. So we finally get him to bugle and he's four, three, 400 yards away. And that's when I said, come on, we, we've got to move. We've got to get closer. Mm-hmm. And we started on a flat jog. We'll get back to the show in just a minute, but I wanted to talk to you about my backcountry e-bike through Baku. It is absolutely a game changer. Helps me go farther and enjoy the hunt longer. I think this is really a pivotal tool if you are in an area with lots of road access or areas that you can um, navigate trail systems to get in farther. Uh, The e-bike has really allowed us to get into places that would have taken us a lot more effort to get into. Head over and find more information at bakcou.com. You can also use the code HEROUTDOORJOURNEY to save a few hundred dollars on your new electric bike. This will be an absolute upgrade to your hunting game. And we started on a flat jog down through this brush and, and stuff, trying to sound like elk, but trying to really just get as close as I can without bumping him. And I think that's kind of the secret to the game. I wasn't even trying to be quiet. Like I was just trying to move and move fast and, and kind of shock and awe him. And we closed to within, I would say a hundred yards from where I thought he last bugled and I give off a bugle and it's an immediate, immediate answer at, at less than a hundred yards. And he just echoes down the canyon or down the draw at you. And you're just going, Oh, now we pissed him off. Mm-hmm. And there was no more cow calling. Well, I did cow calling after a little bit to make it sound like a bull with cows. But uh, after that, I kind of like his last bugle, I knew he's committed. He's going to come check us out. So I'm checking the wind constantly and I'm trying to get set up and get, you know, several shooting lanes and trying to figure out how I'm going to play this. And I kind of position her to where she can see and possibly get a shot. And I'm just trying to cover as many lanes as I can in the shortest amount of time. And we're set up on this old skitter road that's got like 
I don't know, three foot brush on it, but it's, it's all overgrown. All these skitter roads that are down there at the bottom haven't been logged in looks like a hundred years. And, uh, um, all of a sudden down the road at about 90 yards, 80 yards, I can catch the tip of an antler sticking out from behind a Christmas tree. And I went, well, here he comes. And I'm thinking he might use the skitter road because that's the fastest, easiest way of travel for him to go through. And that looks like it's got a trail of him right down the middle of it. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, an old horse trail or whatever. And he chooses to go into the Christmas trees and stay in the Christmas trees. And uh, he kind of closed in with us and I see him walk in front of me at about 20 yards, but it's just glimpses of the top of his antlers or an ear or you know the, the top of his back. And I can't really get a shot. And he passes by me, and I can tell that he's he's going to get downwind of me. And I went, and the second he's downwind of me, it's game over. So I just said, I don't have a choice. Like it's either move now, or let him get downwind of me. And I just moved, and I got out from my little hidey hole, and and uh, just got downwind of him. And we kind of played this cat and mouse game of, of he tried to go downwind to me and I would get down below him. And then he would try to go down below me and I'd get down below him and he could hear me moving, but he wasn't too concerned. And then finally I'm down a little further than where I set up originally. And he decides to come into within about 15, 20 yards. But all I can see is just his face, his neck, and he's got his vitals blocked by a, a Christmas tree. And he, reaches around at that point I go down to one knee I draw my bow and I cannot get an ethical shot and we kind of do this staring match what felt like an eternity and you know your heart's pumping you know you, you can feel it jumping out of your chest and you're, you're going come one more step please just take one more step and uh, he turns around and bolts and he just didn't like the vibe I don't think he really made me I think he just knew something wasn't right and he bolts into the brush, but as he's leaving, he chuckles. And that's what made me think, okay, well, I'm not busted yet because he yeah. didn't bark and he didn't, go, he didn't go very far. He just knew something was off and he's chuckling at me and he's trotting away a little, but he's still kind of confused. And uh, at that point, I kind of knew that he's not going to come back to this exact location. He knows something's up right here. He doesn't like the feel of it. At this point, I'm going to go in after him. You know, it's, it's either get, aggra get aggressive or he's just going to continue to walk away. Can I tell my, my perspective from sure, this and then sure. you can fill in the blanks? Sure, go for it. So um, I'm, uh, I'm watching as he's like at full draw on this bull. And then the bull just turns and trots away. He's like, like he said, he's not super freaked out, but he knows something's not right. And then I can see Martin kind of stand up and he's thinking. And then he just walks into the brush. You know, he just walks across this road and walks in and I'm like, okay, I know from just hunting together, I know that I'm not going to follow him. I'm going to set up on this road. That way, if the bull comes out here, I'll have a shot, but he's going to go in and he's going to try and get a shot at him. So he goes in and, and I can hear Martin cow call and then bugle. And then I hear the bull chuckle and then, you know, 30 seconds go by a minute, two minutes, and then Martin cow call and or bugle you know he's kind of going back and forth with the different tactics and then this bull chuckles and they'll be like 30 yards a different direction and and you can just hear them ping-ponging around everywhere in this in this 
one area, just one group of reprod with like a lot of um, like Scotch bloom brush uh, trees, just probably a little bit taller than I am. And I can't see anything, but I can hear it. And it, it was so cool to hear them just playing this back and forth, back and forth. And I can hear Martin running through the brush and then he stops and he calls and, and then the bull answers. And I can hear the bull trying to work his way around Martin. He's trying to get downwind of him and he's constantly doing it so that he can try to wind him and figure out like, what kind of, you know, what am I dealing with here? Like what's going on? Um, and it goes on and on. And then I hear this, uh, I hear the bull bust and I'm like, shit. And then I hear him give off a weird cow call. And I was like, all right, that means meet up. So I go walking down the road to meet up with him. And he comes out and his face is just like bummed. And I'm like, crap, what happened? He goes, well, I got an arrow in him. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. I, we played this cat and mouse game in this, these reprod and running through it. Cause he kept trying to get downwind to me. And the more I'd work, downwind the more that he would kind of stop go back the other direction and then i'd kind of start closing distance on him and about the time i would start get within range he'd turn around and start coming back towards me and he but he would, wouldn't go through any of my shooting lanes every time i'd set up thinking he's going to come through right here he'd go a different way and then eventually it's like he's level with me with the wind you know in the next 10 feet he's going to be down below me and then he's going to go even further so i would just leave the bowl and move and you know move downwind 15 20 yards as fast as i could turn around and he would stop that movement of mine would stop him he'd listen thinking you know well was that an elk was it what it was that and then it was another now i got to refine him by the time i worked my way back to where the area where he just was he'd be somewhere different and they just glide through that stuff you know it's 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 my jogging pace it says walk and uh after that, finally through this this cat and mouse game, which was just intense, I would catch tips of antlers, but him walking, breaking a branch, and I kind of knew about where he was. After finally, I finally get a, a, a shot where he's standing broadside, and he's at 88 yards. And I'm thinking, that's too far for me to shoot for an ethical shot for me. And uh, I just kind of, he's, he's across this little pocket meadow, and he starts raking a tree. And as soon as he started raking a tree, I thought, well, he can't see and he can't hear right now. Because obviously try to look when you're shaking your head, you can't see anything. He's got his head stuck in a tree and raking the hell out of it. Now's my time to move. And I bolted across this little pocket meadow, keeping this pine trees between me and him. And I kind of get it. I run once and I range it again. Now he's at 70 yards. Now he's, he's you know, we're, we're easing up on a shot. I'm going, I could probably do that, but I'd like it a little closer. And he starts raking the tree again, and I run to the next Christmas tree that's out in this little meadow, keeping it between me and him as I close distance, and I'm kind of hunched over as I'm running. And now he's at about 58 yards, and I have a 60-yard pen. And I thought, there's my shot. Like, that's as close as I can get. I have nothing else between now. Between I'm out in this pocket meadow behind one little Christmas tree, and he's now stopped raking. He's looking... And I'm kind of going, I'm stuck on an island. Like I just marooned myself out here. I cannot move now until he goes into the brush. So I thought, well, it's a clear shot. And he goes into that brush. I may not get a shot again. And uh, I lined up on him and I shot and I hit about eight to 10 inches further back than what I wanted. 
and it was a little bit of a quartering too, but not enough to where I wouldn't try to slip that. And uh, it went in about second to last rib, and obviously it went 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 back, came out the other side, uh, just in front of the other haunch. And uh, um, I seen that shot, and he walked off dragging that back leg and dragging dragging like I could tell it was going to be a fatal shot. But he might go miles now. Like I felt mm-hmm. sick to my stomach on how far back I hit him. I don't know if I yanked the bow trying to see my arrow fly, target panic, whatever you want to call it. Um, I didn't feel good about it. Like I wish I would have made a more a cleaner shot, but I did the best I could in the time that I had. Uh, it felt like I could have made that shot on a normal day, but uh, yeah, not 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 my favorite one on that one. And it was interesting on this hunt how so many highs and so many lows. And we and we went through this kind of high-low, high-low pattern the whole time, all the way, I mean, all the way through it. So he comes to me and he's like, yeah, I got an arrow in him. And I'm like, you know, I'm so happy. And he's like, it's not the shot that I wanted. And I said, was he bleeding? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, well, it's going to be fatal. And we're, we're going to make it happen. Like, we're going to find him. We, if we have to track him for a long time, we're going to do everything we can to make it happen. We decided to give him an hour since it wasn't the most ideal shot. We were going to hold up, wait, really hopefully give him enough time to lay down and die and just be done with it. Um, so we filtered some water and uh, I <laughs> fell in a wallow. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, the only water down there was where he'd been rolling around. And he kind of like lived around this wallow. And I said, you know, if you don't mind drinking water, he's probably peed in and uh, rolled around in. Like that's our source of water right now. There was, a, there was some fresh water coming. I mean, I got it out of a fresher <laughs> source, but it emptied into this wallow area. But trying to get it out of this fresher source, I fell in the wallow and also the berry briars. So it was, I came back just covered in mud. Um and we're just, you know, filtering water and waiting. And it was probably the longest hour ever. We gave it an yeah, gave it an hour. And then after that, I said, well, let's go see. Like, I'm still thinking we, we should give it more time. But we're pushing through, like, I'm looking at one, like two. yeah, two o'clock in the afternoon at that point. I'm going, it's an easy two to three hour hike out of here. And uh, I'm going, uh Let's see if we can pick up. I know he's bleeding good when I hit him. I mean, it was Insta. Somebody turned a faucet on when the last that I seen him. So we kind of go over and I try to pick up, you know, about where I was. I had marked it on my uh, um, Onyx. After that, we it, it was such thick brush that he was standing in three feet deep, four feet deep, that I couldn't find the exact spot where he was standing i'm wading through this stuff and trying to back and forth back and forth so we killed probably a good 40 minutes there mm-hmm. so now he's been shot for an hour and 40 minutes and i kind of went well i know he went that way and let's go around and we'll take a different way in here i'll we'll try to work him back the other direction see if we can cut the blood over there give it time to actually really start flowing so we go over to um, the skitter road that kind of went around, it kind of jays around. And we cut his blood crossing the, the skitter road, which was about 130 yards away. And so I went, well, he made it to the skitter road and he crossed that. That's not a great sign. And while we're standing there, I hear a limb break in the old timber. And it was a good sized limb. And I kind of went, 
let that be him. You know, we're standing on his blood trail. It goes that way. The sound came from that way. And I said, well, let's just sit down here for a minute or two. And we kind of sit down and we wait there for about another 30 minutes, 40 minutes. And after that, I thought, well, I don't hear anything anymore. Let's tiptoe into the dark timber. And we're just going to go real slow. We're going to try to stay on this blood trail a little. And we make it about 80 yards into the dark timber. And I hear her behind me yell out, oh, F. She can see his antler kind of move a little. He's down. He can't get up. He's trying to take his last few breaths and, and kind of rocking around. And so I just put another arrow straight into him. When you guys are, you know, you're on the blood trail, you made the decision to kind of work your way backwards. Can be kind of a dangerous game. Obviously, it wasn't raining or anything. So you guys knew the blood would probably stay where it was. But did you ever, did it ever cross your mind, one, we could get on the other side of this bowl and, and startle him, you know, scare him out of where he's held up or bedded or bleeding. Um, and then my second question would be, did you guys stay pretty quiet throughout that entire, you know, you're, you're held up for an hour, you're filtering water, you know, you're, are you staying pretty quiet as to not maybe scare him away from where he might be bedded up? When, after I put an arrow in him and we decided to wait that first hour, like we pulled back mm-hmm. way back, you know, 300 yards back and then sat down. And that's where we, we kind of like, well, let's get water and let's, let's wait him out. Like I really wanted to give that area as much space as I could. Once I met back up with her and I told her that, you know, Hey, I got an arrow in him. Let's, let's, let's get out of here a little ways and uh, take a seat. And so we did that. And then I knew that going or leaving where I was, I had, at that point I had it flagged, um, flagging tape there. So I knew I could come back to the starting point or that it all went down And I knew that that dark timber, like if he makes it into that dark timber and keeps going, that's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. And I knew that if we, if we're going to bump him anyway, like if we are going to bump him, we want him to go the other direction. Cause it kind of go, like I said, it goes uphill, but that uphill right where we were was a clear cut. That is Mm -hmm. not like the brush is probably two feet tall. So if he busts out of the bottom of this draw and goes up, if we do bump him, He's going to go up and I'm going to be able to see that hillside. Yeah. Um, it was the more favorable, favorable it was, it was like way. If we bump him, I want him to go that way. Yeah. And I knew that I could come back to the starting of the blood trail. I knew that I'd give it an hour or two and I was just going to work my way kind of back and trying to cut the blood trail. But I knew I could get back on it if I needed to. It wasn't raining. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. I've got bright sun. You know, everything's quiet out there. Like I had no reason why. I don't have to get on this bowl right now. I mean, preferably I'd like to give him three, four hours, but also I was thinking, God, I got to get her out of here too. Cause she is not comfortable being down here. Like I'm totally comfortable down there. I bought enough gear to where I could just cuddle up next to a log, sleep this out, find him in the morning. Um, but I knew she, she didn't have enough gear after I really kind of took inventory on like, how much time do I have down here? before I have to have her out of here. Well, and logistically I had to pick up some kids. So yeah, she had her daughter. She had to get from her ex and it's, it's, that's not exactly a, uh, uh, he's not the type to be okay with her being late. She had to be out of there by a certain time. So I'm like going, okay, well either we're going to split up or you're going to have to go. I don't want you going out alone either. So I was kind of torn on what do I do here? 
and uh it all worked out though it, it all worked, worked out, out really yeah. well we finally cut the trail so i cut off like i said 120 130 yards of actually having to trail this thing through mm -hmm. briar bushes i just okay. wanted to see did he cross that road now if i wouldn't have cut his blood trail going down that crossing that road i would have known that he's hopefully sitting that those briar bushes we're going to back out we're going to give him more time mm -hmm. But the minute that I seen him cross that old timber, I went, well, that just cut off 120 yards of trailing. We can now focus that I know he's this way. Mm -hmm. Let's give him more time. Mm -hmm. You know, he's obviously made it 120 yards. And uh, um, I was just, I just picked up on the blood trail right there. I, I kind of had him, you know, I was kind of doing this circle around, like, mm -hmm. how far did you actually make it? I would have just spiraled in on the point to where the last place I found blood. Mm -hmm. but uh because this stuff was so thick that i okay. couldn't i couldn't go through it i mean it, it would have wiped me out trying to go through the stuff the stuff that he can just you know on stilts walk through mm -hmm. and i'm sitting here doing my best to push through so at uh that part actually i, I feel like i got lucky i got fortunate but i did i did the best with what i had um i definitely didn't like leaving the blood trail but like i said i, I had plenty of daylight i had no rain blue skies Mm -hmm. you know let me let me see if i can cut this down a little bit once we got the bull down it was kind of like he's bigger than i thought he was and it was kind of a um an emotional moment for me to get okay. in because i mean that's that's the biggest bull i've shot i've shot one comparable to him and he ran off with my arrow and i never he left no blood trail, no trail that I could ever follow. And that was one reason why I quit hunting the coast and that thick of stuff was, God, it just made me feel sick. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing worse than shooting one and you can't pick up, you can pick up his trail every now and then, and then you can't find any blood. And you're going, did he make it? Did he not make it? Did I hit him too high? Where, you know, what happened? And, uh, you know, that's what made me start hunting more east was I was just going, that, that coast will swallow an animal so fast. You know, you, you, can, right. you can almost step on them and still not know they're there. And, uh, you know, but that's where they're at. So it's, it's mm -hmm. you take your chances. Definitely. So, yeah. Yeah. So we walk into the steep timber and I can see the antlers and I see him struggling. And honestly, at this point, like, I ranged him for Martin because that was, you know, we had a game plan going into it. Like, Kim, you need to range. You need to tell me the range so that I can shoot him if he's not dead yet. Like, I need to know immediately what I'm dealing with so that I can get mm -hmm. an arrow in him as fast as possible. And so I range him and I, I tell him the range and he puts another arrow in um, and I'm just like sobbing. So this is the first animal that I've ever seen successfully hunted. It's the first hunt that I've been on that's been successful. And it was really at that point, I was like, I don't know if I like this. I don't know if I like hunting because I'm just watching this animal that to me looks a little bit like a horse, which I grew up with struggle and not do okay. And it was, it was really hard for me. Um, and then he got an arrow in him and he's down and Martin walks over and, you know, make sure that he's dead. And I'm like, whoa, 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 back up. Like, you know, this could go bad. And he's like, baby's dead. And I'm like, are you sure he's dead? You know, I'm just having like a lot of second thoughts about it. And he's like, no, it's dead. It's all good. You can come over here. Um, 
and I walk over and it's massive, like so much bigger than I expected because the only time that I've seen this elk is when he pops his head out. There's a video of him on social media where he pops his head out and he's looking at Martin and that's when Martin goes down on full draw on his knee and he didn't get a shot at that point, but that's all I've seen of this elk. I never did see uh, his antlers until this moment and he's freaking huge. <laughs> and then, you know, it kind of sinks in like what, what did we just do? And now what do we face? Like now we have this huge animal who's pinned up against a tree to try to roll, to try to, you know, take care of, we got to get him dressed out and do all the things. And we both grabbed onto him. And the only thing we could move was his hind end. We couldn't even make an attempt at moving his front end. He's so big. So we pull his hind end around and barely. Bar yeah. Like, bar I mean, it's like, like everything we have. These are like yanks to like one, two, three, yank, yeah. one, two, three, yank to like scoot his butt an inch and a half, you know, just to where it eventually got to the point to where it, it like sunk down on the ground far enough to where now we, we can't move him. Yeah. And I, that's what had me in awe is mm -hmm. how much bigger mm -hmm. a Roosevelt is than a Rocky. Just a tank. He's 50% bigger as far as body size. Right. Like it just took my breath away. You know, I'm going how big this animal actually is physically. Don't look at the antlers, but look at this, just the mm -hmm. mass of him. And I mm -hmm. went, you know, he's a small moose, you know, and, and I was going, holy crap, I've packed out plenty of Rockies, but this was my first Rosie, like a full blown, not a spike Rosie or, or a small satellite bull, but like, this, you know, this is a big full blown Rosie. And I was just going, holy crap, you know, like one of those quarters is going to be a nightmare. So again, we're on a time constraint at this point, because as I mentioned, I have to go pick up my daughter. So we uh, field dress him and pack our packs as full as we can and head out with our first uh, load out. And <clears throat> one of the things that was really important was... Um, you know, the night before I'd been talking to my daughter on FaceTime and I told her, hey, we found a bull. And she said, the heart? And I was like, yeah, it has a heart. And she's like, ooh, delicious. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'll, I'll bring you the heart tomorrow. And she's like, okay, she's, okay. She's had heart with me. She's kind of a picky eater. She's the pickiest eater. And she, she had heart, heart with deer. She's had deer that we've gotten, but she'd never, ever had elk heart. And, but now every time a bear, deer, whatever she is, oh, I want to eat the heart. Yep. You know? So that's kind of become mine and her, our thing of, you know, if we, if we get something, it's, it's me and her enjoy the heart together. And yep. it's, it's something that she enjoys. So, so we made sure that that came out in the first pack out and, uh, we found a better place to cross the creek, which is the place that I suggested the first time. Yep, it was. It was, it was a much, love it when much that easier cross the creek twice. It just so happens that that's where he was decided to drink from the creek. So we kind of hit his old trail yeah. and followed it, and it led us right down to the creek. Like he had already cut a path down this hillside and kind of you know zigzagged his way down. It was all already pre-trampled and. I, went, well, I wish I would have known this was here earlier, you know? And yeah. We came out the other side into a bunch of nettle and it's just like a wall of nettle. So we're like, well, we're doing it. So yeah, stingy nettle. And it was just kind of like, I tell her is, so know. I got nettle burns. I mean, at this point I stripped down to a t-shirt because it's hot. I mean, it, for that late in archery, 
that day was really hot and it was going to be hot that night. So there was a lot of pressure to get moving from that perspective too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a t-shirt and we just sort of like, well, F it. Like we're going through the nettle and just, you know, nettle burns all over my arms and my lower back from bending over because you have to duck under all the things. And, and then we walk up the skitter road and uh, find the bottom of this hill and we just both look at it and we're like, yeah, the hill that we God. fumbled our way down that now we've got loaded packs, you know, and they're not super loaded. They're, they're, you know, you got the backstrap and the heart and a few other little loins and that kind of things that I could quick and easily cat, you know, grab. And then, uh, after that, we're looking at this hillside going, Oh the God, that's going to suck. You know, this is going to be a two hour climb of just nothing but straight up, you know, of, of two steps forward and one step back and, yeah. and, yeah. You know, make sure that you've got a good hand on something because if you go start rolling down this, you're not going to stop. So there was a lot of pressure because it's, I'm supposed to pick my daughter up at five o'clock. We got to the bottom of this hill at 445 and I'm over an hour from the town that I need to go pick my daughter up at and also at the bottom of this hill. But I know at the top I have cell phone service. And so, you know, we tried to get up as fast as possible. I think it took us, I mean... If we would have taken our time, it probably could have honest, honestly taken us two hours to get to the top. I think it probably took us about 45 minutes. Um, and we hit the top, like, heaving and puking. And, and uh, We crawled up the hill on our hands and knees. He had to part. pull me up at one point because I legitimately couldn't get a foothold. So he, um, we had trekking poles with us, and he put his trekking pole down and helped me get up a little bit because it was just straight up and down. Um but we did it. We got to the top and, and then I had to go get the kids. So luckily my dad was home and came and helped Martin, um, with the rest of the pack out. And I, you know, I didn't help with that part, which I feel pretty guilty about, but at the same time, like, you know, that's kind of the price you pay for being a parent. Mm -hmm. Um, kids are first and yeah. luckily, luckily they were able to get them out before it spoiled because, uh, it was not a cool night that night. I think I, I drove the truck home and picked up the kids and I got back and they got back to, we met at my dad's house and they got back there about midnight. And then we went and found the closest gas station we could and just threw ice packs on this bull elk because we couldn't even fit it in any of the coolers that we had. Even our biggest cooler wouldn't hold a quarter. Wow. Yeah. We couldn't get a, a hind forward was width wise was too big to fit with the bone in. Um, the hindquarter was too big to fit into a 130 quart cooler. Yeah. So it was like just too wide to shove down in there. And so, yeah, you know, and me, me and her dad just did our best to get that thing out of there. Um, her dad knew a road that got us closer than the way that me and Kim went into, but it was still a nightmare to just, you know, just trudge just without his help. I couldn't have done it. It mm -hmm. just cut the work in half, obviously mm -hmm. having another able ball, but Man, I was looking at, you know, I was really nervous hanging in overnight. I was really nervous. I called buddies and it's that old thing of, you know, you call all your buddies and they all, yeah, I'll be there for you. You know, you get an animal down, I'll come help you all do that. And one, one of my really good friends was, was, uh, you know, I had just been in a car wreck the day before or two days prior. So they, you know, he was kind of messed up and I went, well, I'd never put this on you then, you know, right now, especially, right. you know, being underneath a car wreck. Like, I'm not going to ask that of you. You know, another buddy said, you know, yeah, I got to work tomorrow. And another one is, you know, I'm out of town on my own hunt right now. And I'm just going, great. My whole supportive party, my whole packing party 
is just falling apart right now. So I'm just so thankful for her dad that he showed up because I went, you know, I may have killed this bull, but it's going to kill me. That, yeah. that hunt honestly started at 4 a.m. And it ended for me being able to step into the shower and start rinsing off at 3 a.m. Wow. And that was like after I'd gotten ice, you know, like I can rest now. Um, mm-hmm. So it was a 23 hour, you know, of, of 23 hours of, of, you know, what's your next move? You know, of just roll with it and hard. figure it out. And mm-hmm. yeah, it didn't eat anything that whole time. The whole time I had, I think I had like a, a handful of snacks and a couple bottles of water and probably more than a couple bottles of water, but I was running on pure, pure determination of, you know, sweat, blood and tears of, I am not going to let this animal spoil. We are going to get this mm-hmm. thing out of here. We killed it. Like, here we go. And it's not something I would wish on my worst enemy, tell you the truth. Like without her dad, it would have been questionable on whether or not I would have gotten that animal out of there in time. And, and mm-hmm. under, you know, even skinned and hanging and quartered up off the ground. Like it was just physically, I think, you know, I, I would have broken something or broken myself trying to do that mm-hmm. on my own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I'm just so grateful that it actually worked out. Totally. That's awesome. I think sometimes, you know, we can get ourselves into situations where it's not just a matter of finding the animal that you're after and, you know, putting a lethal shot on it. It's, where is he? Can I get it out? What are the temperatures? What is the weather going to do? You know, is there, there's just so many factors that on the surface level, a lot of times you can kind of bypass like that logic in your mind until all of a sudden you're going, yeah, like I've got to get this bull out of this hell hole. It's, you know, 90 degrees or whatever it is. How do I get him out of here now that everything else is done and not lose any of the meat? One thing, though, that you said, Kim, I really want to circle back to so many things, honestly, but there was that moment for (laughs) you when you guys walked, you know, into that dark timber and you catch the top of his antlers moving around and you're like, clearly he's not yet, you know, finished taking his last breath. And you had that moment where you're like, holy shit, I don't know if hunting is for me, if this is what it's like, like the finality Mm -hmm. of killing something like there's no other way to say it where are you at with that now and what has that kind of looked like from that moment where you're like having to read the ranges to sitting here having this conversation right now i think for me um it actually took a little while for it to really come back for me so there was a lot of like back and forth internally like is this actually something i can do or do i just enjoy the idea of hunting Sure. And, and then we cook the meat. Right. And so we've been eating elk and we've been talking about it and we've been sharing these memories and we've been going over this hunt. And, and I realized like, no, this is, this is worth it. Like we didn't just kill that bull just for fun and then Mm -hmm. watch it suffer and walk away. That's not what it was about. We killed it. And then, well, we tried to kill it. He made an ethical shot again got it down, dead, done. And then, you know, we did the work of making sure that this meat didn't get spoiled. And there was a lot of work that went into it. You know, there was the initial pack out that I was a part of the rest of it, which I wasn't. And then, you know, driving home, driving him home at 1am. Cause at this point I'm not letting him drive. Like he's pretty much delirious. 
And there was, there's so much passion and hard work and love that goes into it that like, for me, I can't imagine not doing it. And I think it was just in that moment, there was so many emotions tied into everything mm-hmm. that that was just my honest reaction was like, I don't know if this is for me. And then I was able to pull it back together and realize like, that was the ugly part. That's, that's the bad part. That's the part nobody likes. That's the part we all don't like to talk about. We all don't like to have happen, but it happens. Mm-hmm. And it's what you do from that point forward that really matters. And seeing how so, passionate Martin was about finding this bull and making it right really kind of sealed the deal for me. Like I, I honestly can't wait to get a bull of my own or even a cow. I'm, I'm happy with whatever. So Martin, what does that look like for you? Is that different? Have you ever had similar experiences? Is this just a, you know, a contrast in, you know, maybe, maybe a female's perspective or do you also relate to kind of that feeling of like, Ugh, I don't like this part. No, I completely, I can remember, um, like obviously the, the part of death or killing or having like that. I mean, I got over at a young age. Um, I mean, I can remember the first thing I killed was a rabbit, you know? And I remember for a long time, you know, thinking, God, I killed that. Did I really need to kill that? Like, like that, that animal doesn't go live another day because I chose to take its life. And why, you know, why, why, why do I do this? And on the same time, it's, you know, my ancestors have been doing it for years and just, just knowing that I can do it. And I think once you make peace with this, you're part of the food chain, whether you like it or not, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not out there killing for fun. I'm not out there killing because, you know, sport killing, um, you know, is, is this does feed my family, you know, and this, this mm-hmm. does, this does make meals that, you know, I, I don't feel like you can buy and it makes memories and it makes a, for me, anyways, gives me a better feel about, you know, you watch that person throw away that piece of hamburger that they got from McDonald's or whatever. They don't think anything of it, you know, eat half that burger mm-hmm. and throw it away. But when I watched that animal die and he died by my hands, you take that other half a burger and you put it in the fridge and, you know, especially when you packed it as far as you did and you dealt with it is, is I think you're a lot more respectful and a lot more resourceful knowing where your food came from and, and being, you know, you're, you're just conscious that a, a life died so you can live. And right. that's what, you know, and, and, and that's just part of the game. Um, whether we have to pay somebody else to do our killing for us or whether we do it ourselves, um, it's got to be done. You know, if you're going to be a meat, if you're going to eat meat and, and well, you know, and try to make it as most humane kill that I can just having the, 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 as respectful as fast and, and giving that animal, you know, the, the fastest death possible and, and the cleanest death possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then obviously thinking for a life that's taken. So obviously mine can continue. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, 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 now I don't really think about it. You know, now it's, it's, it's part of the food chain. I, it doesn't bug me anymore is, is, you know, I've had to finish off other people's animals. I've had to, to finish off my own that part of hunting, like she said, nobody likes to talk about it, but if you hunt long enough, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's going to happen. So it is. Yep. I feel the same way. And in, in all honesty, I hate killing animals. I love I I would have a baby everything if I could, you know, I just I love animals. And so for me, 
there have been so many times that I'm like, do I just need to be a part of this experience, but not be a hunter? You know, I can be a part of a support team, the pack out crew, whatever. Um, and quite honestly, and I, and I think I talked about this on the la- last podcast, I could never kill another animal as long as somebody's providing my family with meat. I'd be cool with that as long as I can still have the experience of being outdoors there. I don't know that I will ever personally get to the point where it's just so routine that it doesn't affect me. Um, Maybe, maybe I will. I I don't think I will. I don't know, but that's my, that's my truth as well Is it's, it's hard. It's, it's Kim said it so well. It's the part that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah. And it's, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's, you always feel thankful. You feel sad for the animal to a point. And, you know, I don't think anybody ever gets completely over it. You just become, you just know that that's part of the process. You know, yeah, and it's totally. obviously I wouldn't, it makes me sick to my stomach to know, you know, if I make an animal suffer Yeah, and it's not my intentions at all. Um, I don't think I would ever give up hunting just because it's that personal, there, there's that personal fire that's inside you that, you know, it's something money can't buy. It's, it's, it's a personal challenge of, can I out, you know, it is a chess game to a certain extent. It's, it's the hunt. It's the, the primal, uh, you know, pursuit, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm in love with that as much as I'm in love with, you know, having the meat, yeah. you know, and it's, it's the praying mass you see along the way. And it's, 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 it's like I said, the chess game with the animal, not letting him get downwind of you when he's trying and you know he's trying to get down there. Yeah. Or or heading them off and knowing where they're going, knowing their patterns and you know, it's it's the hunt. So reflecting on this story, do you feel like there are some like big takeaways that really led to your success in this hunt? I would definitely say is is not being scared to make noise when it comes to elk not being you know as long as it's natural sounding noises not being scared to move fast and get in position if that's what the situation calls for uh being aggressive get in their lap um like do not let them under any circumstances wind you they wind you game over period um yeah knowing when to go in when to when to you know is the wind right is it like is this something that i want to pursue right now or are the conditions right for me to be successful i'm not just going in with you know hoping for blind dumb luck you know hunt where the animals are you know not sometimes they're not going to be where you want them up on the tops in the clear meadow you know it's it's, they're down there in the bottom for a reason and and if you want to be successful it's you got to hunt where the animals are whether you like it or not yeah for me i think um it was a lot of like pulling together the concepts, you know, cause I've, I've learned to hunt with the wind. I've learned, you know, when to be loud, when to be quiet, what noises are and aren't okay. Um, listening to other people hunt and, and other really successful hunters I've heard, you know, get in their lap, get in their faces. It's okay to be aggressive. Like, especially with a bigger bull, um, you need to be aggressive. Otherwise you're not going to get their attention. But I've never seen those concepts play out in real life. And so just watching them all come together, that was really, really cool for me and really kind of solidifies, uh, first of all, like what we should be doing. But then it also highlights some stuff where I'm like, okay, so there are things that I need to work on in order to be able to probably actually harvest an elk unless it's going to walk out 
at 30 yards broadside and be like, oh, go ahead. You know, like I have some stuff to work on. And what are those things? Calling for sure is a weakness. So I need to be able to figure that out. Like I did get an easy bugler. I love the dang thing. Um, I still have not got that down enough to where I'd feel comfortable using it and not messing up a situation. Um, being able just to manage all the things. So, you know, you're like paying attention to your wind, your range, uh, calling where the animal is. Like there's just so much happening at once that I need to be able to do all of those things at once and not individually, but more simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So I could keep talking about this and just more layers of all of the things that, you know, have unfolded in this conversation. Um, but for the sake of time and for our listeners, uh, I want to just let people know where they can find you guys. I'm not really one for social media. I have mine. It's more so for my personal, uh, pictures to show my son later on when he's old. You know, I, I half the time I don't take pictures for months or post for months. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more so my private one. Um, but she's got, if she's, you, she's more into it than I am. Yeah. If you follow, if you want to follow more of our hunting adventures, he ends up on my stuff all the time because we do almost everything together. It's at hunt and heal. And then I also have my private page, which is at Kimberly lane 44. And that has more of like our day-to-day stuff. Um, some kind of funny shenanigans, what's going on with the family, but the hunting, hunting side and, um, emotional emotional and personal growth side is at hunt and heal yeah no i really love what you're doing and and martin i respect what you just said about your social media my husband is the exact same way however comma (laughs) after this story everybody's going to want to see that bowl so we will definitely push them to that those pages it's it's yeah i think kim's got it posted he's an absolute stud i yeah yeah but we're talking about the bowl oh okay yeah sorry Oh, yeah, we all got confused there for a minute, Martin. (laughs) Thanks for keeping us on track. (laughs) You guys are awesome. There's so many facets of your life um, from your family and having a blended family to just sharing this journey kind of from different walks of life. And I appreciate you guys coming on. I definitely want to do it again and continue the conversation. But for now, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you for tuning into the show. We hope that your cup is full and you're ready to embrace your untamable vibe. If you enjoyed the show, could you do us a favor? Help us grow our audience by sharing your favorite episode on social media, sending the episode to a friend and leaving us a review online. We love to hear from you. One more thing, be sure to press that subscribe button and never miss a weekly episode. See you next week.